Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Histories of the Unexpected. We're doing a bonus episode. We're we doing are. a green room one, aren't we? Because we're at the wonderful we are. Ways with Words Festival. And it feels very verdant and green, uh, since we are lying on the lawn at Dartington Hall. We are. One of my favourite, favourite halls. It, I, <laughs> I don't have many favourite halls. I've not been here before. I'm very excited. James has been here a lot. And we're in the dappled sunshine under some beautiful trees, looking at the side of a... The 13th, 14th century manor house, um, which has been added to for this festival with lots of marquees. So it's it's all kind of grey and white and and um, smashing, really, isn't it? And there's a spectacular medieval great hall, which is a huge vaulted hall that was built between 1388 and 1400 uh, for John Holland, uh, Earl of Huntington, who was half brother of Richard II. He right, was, he was executed. Was he what for? Yes, I can't, don't know. Okay. Don't know. Get in touch if you know. Um, so the point is, it's not just a manor house, it's a really, really important manor house because it was owned by someone who was very close to the king, yes. which in the 14th century matters. Um, then it's owned by the Champenown family, and Sir Arthur Champenown was the vice admiral of the West under Elizabeth I, a very important naval uh, person, and it stayed in his family until the 20th century. Huh. It was taken over by Leonard and Dorothy Elmhurst, and it was redesigned, rebuilt at this time, and it became this sort of fantastic beacon and centre for the arts. It's yep. part of brilliant Dartington Dartington College. Yeah, it's why it's all very arty around here. Yes. We've got Totnes just around the corner. Exactly. We're sort of thinking about the geography of it, so it's on a high-rise hill, just above the River Dart. Yes. Um, and at the end of Dart is Dartmouth. Yes. Um, which is a good deep harbour. It's a good place for ships. Um, it was very significant in the defence of England from um, for a long, long time before that. But Henry VIII made it really important, yes. particularly. And the, so. and the Mayflower, when it bumps out of, um, out of Plymouth, stops off at Dartmouth. Yeah. There's a little plaque. So it should. Yes. So think about that, you know, so this is under Elizabeth. You said that the admiral in charge of England was here under Elizabeth. So Elizabeth has a massive fleet because Henry has split from... He's split the church up, hasn't he? He does that in the the 1530s. And one of the responses to that is the fact that he suddenly goes, oh, my God, I'm going to get attacked by every every single Spanish (laughs) and Catholic power there is. Um, So the response to to Henry splitting up up from the church is having castles in places like Dartmouth, castles all over the country. Um, But one of the standout things about this is it's not a castle. No. 
it's a manor house and that's really unusual. So in this period, late 14th century, I know we're going back a bit now, but when yeah. it was built, everyone else was building castles. If you had lots of money, you built a castle, but they yes. didn't do that here. No, it's extraordinary. It's like a sort of, imagine a little Oxbridge College just dropped in a field yeah. in Devon. That's what Dartington Hall is. So it's got this very notable, interesting courtyard. It's a really big courtyard. Um, and if you think about the Oxbridge Colleges, they're distinctive because they have more than one courtyard. They have two courtyards. Yes, quad, quadrangle. Yeah. Um, and they suspect, the archaeologists have done an excavation here, they suspect there is another one here. Oh, so, do they? Although there is, oh, you know, I reckon we're sitting in it. Oh. Um, although there's one just over there, so you've got the main entrance with the tower. Yes. And that's all around a really big courtyard. We're missing some of the early medieval buildings, but there's another one, and, and they think it's here. Um, and they need to do some more excavation. Mm. So not only is it like a, a, does it look a little bit like a... Oxbridge College, it probably would have been like yes. an Oxbridge College, yes. but um, it's non-metropolitan. So the only other thing that's like this is uh, around here is the um, Episcopalian Palace in the middle of Exeter. Right. So you've got a courtyard yes. just off Cathedral yes. Green. Yes. But here, there is nothing else here. No. It's a beautiful wooded hill, isn't it? Well, it's very monastic as well. So what they're doing is they're exporting an idea from a city from a metropolitan area and they're sticking it in a rural situation so um it's a bit of a bit of urbanism for you urban theft i'd say it's also monastic yeah i'd say it's a it's a a rural another rural model um but but sort of secular rather than religious huh. i don't know i'm making it up they're also great trees here or fantastic the gardens. trees are amazing so the gardens were redesigned in the 20s or 30s Yes. This place, it's like a, it's like a palace. Yes, in both of those. It? Yeah, it's, oh, it's incredible. So you can look at the 13th century buildings, but then they've got these, uh, what, maybe 20s, 30s yep. buildings over there. Some of it was, it was redesigned, rebuilt in the, in the 20s and 30s. And they've got an ancient yew tree, which began its life in like 500 AD or something. So that did like almost 2,000 years old. And there are Henry Moore sculptures in the garden, beautiful laid lawns, there's a ha-ha, um, spectacular walks out with views over the countryside. In fact, all I have done, uh, I know all this because I used to live in, in a little village called Modbury that was very near here, and all I have done, I haven't enjoyed any of this. I've sat in the green room in the cool. Yes, doing some work. Doing a little bit of work, yes. Um, but the good thing is here, we're not just here on our own, are we, James? No, we have our fantastic interns. Yeah. Um, all week uh, at the University of Plymouth in the history department, I have had three superb uh, pupils from Plimpton Academy and Exeter School uh, with me. There's Rachel, there's Ethan and there's Harry. And they have been work shadowing a real live professor uh, going into meetings and things, which I'm sure fascinated them. Um, but they've also been doing fantastic research for histories of the unexpected this week they've been doing blog posts they have rebelled so they've taken over the social media for us yep um so if you've seen really cool uh, social media posts this week it is down to them and we've got our online magazine which we're launching soon yes. where we're going to be um looking a bit more in depth into some of the things that we discuss on the show or in our book so for example yes. we're going to have one which will be about dartington hall um and if for example i discuss the bayer tapestry in our episode on needlework i certainly did in our chapter on needlework in the book then we'll have a little um thing tell you a bit more about it in a slightly um backwards way yes 
which is quite exciting. And um, to prove the point, we have got Harry here, who's done a bit of work into Dartington, and he's found out some interesting stuff, haven't you? So, James, you're going to pass that mic over to um, the excellent Harry. Harry, what have you found out? You were talking about, about the gardens here, and I found it very interesting. Um, there's a Japanese cherry tree here called the, the Tai Haku, which translates to the Great White in, a, in Japanese. But one interesting thing about, about this Japanese tree is that it, it no longer exists in Japan. Ah. It simply exists in the UK, and one of the only uh, trees still around is here in, in Dartington. And it's an interesting story because it was, it was an English woman who uh, unknowingly brought back some buds of these cherry trees and planted them in, in her garden yeah. in Sussex. And then uh, unknowingly, she, un- unknowingly. <laughs> okay. and she, uh, she didn't know how, how famous this tree was in, in Japan. And so she invited around this naturalist called Captain Collingwood Ingham, who, uh, who he'd never seen this, this tree either. Yeah. So he went over to um, Kyoto in, a, in Japan and he met a Mr. Funatsu, okay. um, a uh, Japanese botanist. And he produced a 17th century scroll depicting a large... Um, a large white cherry tree, which he said was the same as the one in his gardens. Wow! And so, Captain Ingram, he went went around planting these these trees all over the all over the UK, and one remains here in Dartington. That's fantastic. So it's um that's a history of surprise there, because I think they were pretty damn surprised. Um, history of extinction right in that tree. Whoa! I love that. I I actually had a Japanese cherry tree in my garden, and it died. So. That's a sad moment in my life. I've got a you know, yes. bit of a tree link there. What's the next one? Well, this one is, is about, this one's very interesting. It's about a man who was harboured here because he had accidentally killed the King of France. <laughs> hmm. King Henry II, who was celebrating a lull in fighting between France and, and Spain, yeah. invited many of his friends, including the Comte de Montgomery, um, to, to a, a duel. And they were, they were, they were um, jousting. Yes. That's right, jousting. And uh, he was nearly unseated at one time, but he was, he was wishing to impress the, uh, the Queen, and so he went another time. But this time, the Comte de Montgomery, his, his lance splintered and went into the eye ah. of, of the King, um, which eventually killed him. Mm. Oh, uh, blinding by death by yes. sepsis. <laughs> Montgomery did, did offer his own head, um, but was forgiven by the King. But there, there was one person who was not so happy about this, which was the King's wife. <sighs> Catherine of Medici. Right. So she was on a mission to hunt this man down. So first he had to flee to his to his estate in, in Normandy, um, and then here to Dartington. Um, and to make things worse, he was a, a Huguenot. Ooh. So he narrowly missed out on massacre of French Protestants at the time. Dabs, I love that story. Um, Brilliant. Because it's the, we could do. We're doing something on the history of hiding. We were talking about doing something on the history of hiding ages ago, and it's fantastic. It's really interesting. Who hid where, when and why, and for what different reasons? We did. We've written about that in a chapter on holes as well, haven't we? Yes, we have. Hiding holes. Yes, priest holes. Priest holes. Yeah, and um, a little bit about it in the Second World War book. I think we should do something about hiding more I think we should do an episode on hiding. Well done, Harry. You, you've inspired us to do it. And, and, and the history of accidents, of course, yes, as well, because this guy's um, yes. got a bit of... Um, Got a bit of and, timber in his and eye. Apparently, there is some Knights Templar buried at Dartington Ooh. as well. Although I, I merely read about that. Okay. But I'd like to, th- I'd like, to, I'd like to think that there were. Yeah. I'd like to think that were. It in sounds like the kind of thing you'd either know or you wouldn't know. Yes. So it's a, um, maybe, maybe it's one of those things that they suspect there are, but they don't know. Why, I, don't I know. think, I think, it, I think it's probably true. 
or they might like, like to think it's the history true. of tourism right there I think it's probably untrue and they just want people to come excellent excellent <laughs> but that was brilliant Harry and also Ethan and Rachel thank you so much for this week but this the fact that we've had these work experience six formers here uh, is is part of our mission isn't it it's it part is. of our mission to train up the next generation of historians and it's a really important part of what histories of the unexpected is about it is because we're trying to do some no small thing james we're trying to actually change the way people think about the past we certainly are which is a significant challenge um but we can't do it without everyone's help no. um and so we've got these wonderful guys helping us out today and if you listeners want to help then do get in touch because you can get involved basically absolutely um and we'd, we'd love to come and talk at schools and do everything we can so yeah. it's one of the thing we really enjoy doing is talking at festivals like this where we can we can preach the bible of unexpected james it is. But it's not all work, is it, Sam? No. You. you I, know, I did. That was you. Re- that was research, my friend. Did you, did, did that was you, research. Did you see? Did you see how how brilliant <laughs> that segue was into the fact that you, while we were setting up the set, you were off doing something else, weren't you? Yes, I went swimming. Yeah. So, Wild swimming. Well, one of the things that Darlington is known for is it, it has this beautiful stretch of the river that goes around the Darlington estate, and um, I was reading about. I, I love. I, I swim wherever I can go, um, and um, I was reading about it, and often you get this kind of paranoia about people swimming in, in rivers, about it being dangerous, they're trying to stop you. But they've thoroughly embraced it and they've just put life buoys in strategic places where there's a little beach or, or a deep area where you can actually swim. So it's safe and it's good. And it was um, extremely, extremely beautiful. I, I saw three otters and a kingfisher and a salmon. Really? Oh my God, that, that is incredible. Sam. It is incredible. He says, <laughs> pretending to play along. With <laughs> I was deeply worried about you. Oh, we? Uh, yes, because I was reading. A, I knew you were going wild swimming, so I was doing all sorts of historical research on wild swimming. And throughout history, swimming like that has been seen as bad for your health. Hmm. So, so wild swimming is is not only about accidents, but it's also about hygiene, and basically to have dirty skin. Uh, with closed pores was actually quite hygienic, sort of encrusted skin. And to go in and, and sort of remove that is actually quite bad for you because it opens the pores and all sorts of hygiene comes in. But also accidents. Um, you remember that we've talked in the past about that brilliant project at Oxford run by Steve Gunn uh, at yes. Merton. Yes, and yes, team, yes, yes. Uh, accidents in, in the Tudor period. The Tudor period. Well, I was looking at some of their discoveries and... Um, there are a couple of accidents, deaths, related to swimming. It's one of the most dangerous things hmm. uh, in the Tudor period. And, there are, and normally, because, of, because the Tudors felt that actually it was quite unhealthy to bathe, that um, if you got hot, they decided that it was actually much better to just change your shirt uh, rather than bathe. You just take off a sweaty shirt. Um, the problem is with labourers, uh, who don't have too many shirts, uh, there's much greater temptation to actually strip off your shirt and go in for a swim. Two rather unfortunate uh, men uh, died on the 14th of 1558, drowning at opposite ends in the Midlands. So in Leicestershire, there's a man called Thomas. That's all we know about him. Uh, his name was Thomas. They don't have his surname. He was travelling from Leicester to Loughborough and feeling very hot. And he, he went swimming in a mill dam pond on the river Saw in order to wash and went under the water and drowned. And on that same day, 
not too far away, a Shropshire labourer called Richard Chidlow went into the River Turn to clean and wash himself again, and he too went under the water and drowned. I was terrified mm. that this was going to happen to you. Well, I'm back, but I've probably got Viles disease and diarrhoea and, and an ear infection. And all sorts of things <laughs> like that. Uh, it also raises the, raises the interesting history of leisure. Yes. You know, actually have the time to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much going on here. On there, was, there was this amazing school here as well, the Dartington Hall School, yes. and it was um, what sixties, seventies. Yes. And it, very loose establishment. Someone decided that the best way to educate kids was not via lessons. It was yes. a lot of self-education. Yes. And um, I was reading a little bit about people who'd been here, and that you know the general consensus was they learned nothing at all. No, no, no. no. <laughs> but they've got a nice time. No. And it got closed down for various things as well. It if, did. If you're interested in that, I'd Google it. Yeah, but it's going against the grain. Yes. Isn't it? Whether whether it's you know people are building. People are building castles all over the country. Someone said, oh, no, I tell you what, I'm going to build a house without any kind of, without a portcullis, without any defensive battlements, without any way you can walk along the walls. Um, so I can't like that. There's a, there's a going against the grain thing here. Swimming the, against the current, James. The, the history of subversion, Sam. The history of subversion, that's yes. what this is about, we as well as like hiding in accidents. Exactly. Awesome. Of Dartington Hall. Yeah. Who would have thought it? Ah. So we're on in we're on in just over half an hour. Right, I better think about what we're doing. So we'd better finish this. You'd okay. better go and get a shirt. Yeah. And have a can of Coke. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we'll have to do our, our exercise. Right, um, thanks for listening, guys. And as we said, um, we need your help, really. So if you want to help, do get in touch because we're launching our online magazine and um, maybe write some articles for us. That'd be cool. And if you want to come and be an intern, uh, if you want to come and do sixth form work experience, uh, get in touch. History teachers, get in touch. Thank you. Um, bye. Bye.